Welcome to the Sovereign Grace Church Sermons Podcast. Enjoy the sermon by Pastor Jason. Sovereign Grace Church is a Bible-based, gospel-centered church. Please enjoy. Awesome to be in Sovereign Grace Church this morning. Um, as we finish up our... Uh, summer series in 1st John. Uh, I've really enjoyed what we've learned in these first two chapters. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today. Um, we will come back to 1st John next summer. And we'll start with chapter 3. And we'll go through that and we'll go through 2nd John and 3rd John over the next summers. Uh, we're going to call, I guess we'll call the summer months the, uh, the epistles of John months because that's what we'll be doing for the summers. Uh, in, in a couple weeks, we'll be starting a series on the Gospel of John. We will exposit the Gospel of John. Um, and uh, the next couple weeks, I'm going to be doing something I don't normally do. You guys know this. I'm going to be doing a couple of topical sermons in the next two weeks. Uh, next week, we'll actually dig into uh, how church is supposed to be done and why we do things the way we do things. So uh, we'll even go over our elements of, of our service, the call to worship, uh, the, uh, the confession of sin, the assurance of pardon, all those things. We'll go over those things uh, because I, I think that it's, it'd be good and to see why we do it. Um, so I think it's important that, that if you're able to be here next week uh, to help understand why we do church the way we do church, it'd be good for you to be here. Um, but I want to get into this morning's sermon because uh, I think it's very, very important for us as a church to hear these words of, in 1 John. John Calvin said, A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked yet would remain silent. That's what John Calvin said. We've seen clearly in the past few weeks that the gospel and the truth of God has been attacked in the church from the beginning of the church. It's, it's, it's not something new that, that false teachings and, and heretical teachings and false teachers and wolves have come into the church. It's not brand new. This has happened since the beginning, period, without a doubt. John is clear on that. It's very prevalent today. We know that, but it's always been. And we are called uh, to, to speak the truth in love and call what is false, false, because that's what it is. Um, and as we end this season of expositing this book of the Bible, I pray that the, the final verses of chapter 2 kind of make a huge impact on, on our, in our hearts and help us, help us to, to, to be led to be a voice of truth in our world. Now here, the, the infallible inspired Word of God. 1 John 2 
26 through 29. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you that it is inspired, infallible, and inerrant. We can count on what your word says over any other thing that we hear, whether it be in the service or in our daily lives. Whatever voice uh, says anything about you, we know that we can trust what the word says about you because it is you speaking it. Father, we ask that you would remove the veil, that we may see clearly what these verses are trying to say to us and how they should convict our hearts as Christians. God, we thank you for your word, that it is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Holy Spirit, illuminate this path for us as we go on this journey through this word. Help us to see the particular points. And we know that you are good and your word can be counted on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to go pretty much verse by verse. Because I think there's actually, there are some important points that we need to learn that may not seem like they link together at times in this last part. But I think when we get to that last verse, we're going to see what John is truly trying to say through the whole, really the whole first two chapters, honestly. So, I want to read verse 26 again to you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So John's saying, the reason I've written all these things before, up until now, is because there are people who are trying to deceive you. There are false teachers in the church giving you false teachings. That's why he says, I've written these things. It's important that you understand, there are people trying to deceive you. And as I studied this verse, I saw a phrase in John Stott's commentary that really struck me. He said this, quote, It is possible for Christians to be deceived by false teachers. It is possible for Christians to be deceived by false teachers. As I shared a little in Sunday school, this phrase hits very close to home for me. For much of my Christian life, uh, this was true for me. Almost 22 years of it. It's been true for me that the Christian can be deceived by false teachers. And, and, and not just being in error uh, about one thing or the other, because there's a lot of times in every Christian's life where you'll be in slight error or not so slight theological error. And these are the things that we work through as we study. 
as we are discipled by teachers, as we come to Sunday school with Pastor G, we begin to be discipled and we begin to kind of eliminate a little bit of the error in our life, which is fine, which is good. But I have literally been deceived by false teaching so many ways. I fell into false teachings on the gifts of the Spirit. Teachings that made him a force or a feeling or something to make you shake or something to make you babble incoherently or something to make you act a fool. I remember, and I was thinking about it this morning, I remember going to church and coming home exhausted, covered in sweat from all of the crazy things I would do at that service. I remember that. I also dove right into Word of Faith teaching uh, and its terrible lies about God and about who God is and about how we live our Christian lives. I was addicted to TBN. Um, I declared, I decreed, I spoke things. I tried to have enough faith to make things happen. And then I watched people in my life die. But I had enough faith to, to heal. And I watched things happen that I didn't understand why they happened because I had decreed and declared that we would have enough money for this or we would be able to do this or we'd be able to have that and our church would be this. And I thought I had enough faith. But what I was doing was dishonoring God because it's God who decides, not me. It is God who declares, not me. He decrees. It's His will. I was also led astray by legalistic teaching that taught works-based salvation, that we have to do enough to be good enough. And you know where I ended up? Utter despair, because I realized I would never do enough to be good enough and never be good enough to be accepted by the righteous one. I've also been deceived into antinomianism. The belief that I can do whatever I want because I'm under grace. I was taught that and I was taught I could do whatever I wanted. I never have to pick up my Bible. I never have to attend church. I could totally look and act like the world and I was good because I was under grace. To do anything that is taught in Orthodox Christianity as seeking after holiness, the true things of the Word that say that this is how you seek after holiness, to do any of those things, it was told to me that that was me putting myself under the law. And that was a false teaching. That was a heretical teaching. Because it goes completely against what the Word of God teaches us. Truth be told, for many years of my life, I was a false teacher. I regurgitated these doctrines of demons as if they were the truth. And I have repented for those years, and I actually repented to you guys about two years ago about those false teachings that I taught. I pray daily to remain solid, to have biblical doctrine, biblical theology, to remain rooted and grounded in the Word of God. 
for what I say and teach up here. I pray daily for that. Because I do not want to be deceived. I take it very seriously because I understand the ease of falling into false teachings. Because most false teachings make it, they appeal to what you feel is the best thing. It is within man to think, I can do this. I can take care of this. I can make this happen. Done. And, and, and not to lean on anybody else. To be independent. Yet we must depend on Christ for our salvation. So anything that tells me, gives me a list of things I got to do or tells me something I got to do, guess what? That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to run towards. If, I, if, I, if I'm depending on my own self and not on what God has said in His Word, so I pray daily to remain in His Word and not follow these false teachings. I study God's Word. Not just what I teach here. I study God's Word and other things. I want to study His Word so that I can show myself approved before Him. And I don't say this stuff to brag. It's not, bra it's not, it's not to brag, but to show you the struggle and the fight that I myself have to fight to remain biblically grounded in doctrine and theology that is true and that is based on the Word of God, that is based on the teachings of Christ, that really views God as He is, that doesn't veer off into all these weird things, these feelings and these emotional things. I fight a daily fight to make sure I don't fall into these things. Because if we're, if we're honest, deceivers are active in every facet of the visible church right now. I've named some specific names over the past few weeks. Hope that you understand it wasn't for personal reasons. It was for specific reason. And here's the specific reason. Mark and avoid these people. The names that I've named that, that teach these wrong doctrines and these doctrines of demons that aren't true, that aren't God's Word, mark and avoid them. I'm telling you, they're wolves. It is my job as an elder in this church, as the lead elder, lead teaching elder in this church, to tell you, mark and avoid these wolves. Because I am to call the sheep, which is you, and I'm to chase away the wolves, which is the false teacher. Paul himself knew that this would be a fight in the church. He spoke of it to the church of Ephesus as he was leaving them in Acts. Acts 20, verse 27 through 30. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will rise men, speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul knew it. He knew as soon as he left the church of Ephesus. Everything seemed good while he was there, but he said, as soon as I leave, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be fierce wolves. Savage wolves are going to come in and try and wreck you guys. And not only that, some of you guys may rise up trying to twist things to make it seem like this is this and this is this, but it's not true because it doesn't line up with what Christ has taught us. So he said, watch yourselves. He told the elders of that church, 
You're overseers of this church. You must protect this church. Paul knew it. It happened just as he said, and it continues. Savage wolves in the flock. That's what false teachers are described as. They're savage wolves. They kill. They destroy. They absolutely wreck the lives of believers. Don't believe me. All you have to do is look. Those who are in false teachings, look at their lives. See how they can be wrecked by these awful teachings of these, these, these savage wolves. The Christian can be deceived. But the true Christian cannot remain in heresy forever. And the next verse kind of describes how this is true. Verse 27. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Now this verse can be and has been twisted to say that we don't need church or a pastor to teach us about anything about Christ and His Word. It says here you can you don't need any man to teach you. That's called taking God's Word completely out of context. Because in every church that the apostles set up, guess what they set up? Elders. Guess why they set them up? To teach the people. And they wanted every Christian to be a member of a church. So, we can't take it out of context. Let's put it completely in the context that it's in here. Because John's being specific. He's, 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 he's come through this teaching and he's teaching a specific thing here. He's teaching us something that he knows for a fact to be true. How does he know for a fact that it's true? Because he heard it directly from the mouth of Christ himself. That's what he's trying to tell them. He's trying to tell them something he heard from Jesus himself. John 14, I'm going to read four verses for you. They're not together, but I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 and verse 25 and 26. It says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, He says here, you have no need for anyone to teach you because His anointing teaches you about everything. Okay, so what is He talking about if it's not saying you don't need church and somebody teach you? Well, we see Jesus accurately describing here the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14. The Holy Spirit is to dwell in us, to abide with us, and to teach us all things concerning the teachings of Christ, what Christ has said. The Spirit abides in us. 
So the anointing that we receive from Christ abides in us. What is that anointing? That anointing is the promised Holy Spirit. When we repent and trust in Christ, guess what? You receive the promised Holy Spirit. And what does He do? He lives in you. And he is constantly at work in your heart. He says this, the anointing teaches you about everything. In John 14, 26, we saw that Jesus stated that this what this means very clearly. If you don't understand a scripture, one easy way to begin to understand that scripture is to compare it to other scriptures about the same thing. So John 14, 26, Jesus states that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. These things especially pertain to all that Christ has said. The things that God has said because Christ is God. Guess where those things are contained? In the Bible. So, the Holy Spirit is teaching us the truth of the Word of God which is contained in the Bible. The Holy Spirit doesn't teach by telling people new special revelations that we've never heard before. He doesn't teach by giving vision casting leaders cool pop culture related TED Talks to give you. He doesn't teach you by me giving my opinion of what I think God may want. The Bible. We need to know Bible. The Word of God. That's where the truth is. Doctrine and theology are looked down on so often these days. The modern church, especially the charismatic branch, tells us to unplug our brains from anything to do with God. We've got to let go and let God, right? We've got to not think about it. To ignore knowledge and wisdom is what they want you to do. It has to be all about feelings. We follow our hearts in how we approach God and worship. But there's a big problem with following your heart in how you approach God in worship. A big problem that we need to settle. Jeremiah 17.9 lays it out clearly for us why we don't need to follow our hearts into worship of God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are wicked. We can't trust our hearts. We can't rely on feelings and how we worship God and how we approach God and how we learn of God. We need to rely on what He has said and trust it. We've got to rely on the Holy Spirit because He is teaching us all things and He is reminding us of the very Word of God. He is pointing straight to Christ. He abides in us. He tells us the truth. And let me be clear on how I say that. He tells us the truth. Not a truth. Not your truth. The truth. There is one truth. And in John 17, 17, He says exactly what it is. 
Sanctify them by your truth. And then he says a statement that all of us need to have printed and put on t-shirts. Your word is truth. Is is a very important word in the English language. Is means it is. Period. Amen. It is in a state of being something. So truth is in a state of being the word of God. Truth is the word. The word is truth. The truth. He teaches everything about Christ and points us right to Him. And when we encounter false teachings, which we encounter teachings, and I would say any teaching, even if it's something new that you've never heard before, we need to lean on the Holy Spirit and what He shows us. we got to abide in Him. we got to trust the Word of God and what He points out to us in the Word of God. Because we need to trust in sound biblical doctrine as the guide. Engage your mind. Let me hear, let me say that again. Engage your mind. Don't let go and just rely on feelings. Engage your mind into the study of God's Word. Because as you do that, you build a strong backbone and understand who God is. Learn these things so that you can stand against any false teaching with the help of God. To say that we don't need theology. How many of y'all have heard that before? I don't need theology. I just need Jesus. And and when I hear that, I always think in my in my mind, which Jesus? Because there's a lot of them out there, and most of them are not the Son of God. Only one is. But to say that we don't need theology is to basically say that we don't need to know God. And you see, in the Areopagus, there was, a, there was an idol set up to the unknown God that they would give an offering to because they're like, just in case these other gods we do know, let's give one to the unknown God too, just in case. Well, we've got churches full of people who are worshiping an unknown God because they don't get to know Him through the Word of God. Theology is the knowledge and study of God. We need to be grounded in who God is. We need to know who our God is. And the Spirit teaches us who He is through the Word. The Word of God is called the Word of God very specifically because this is the words that God has said. This is thus saith the Lord. Not the things that you hear on TV and on videos. People saying, this is this, thus saith the Lord. You better watch yourself. Because you're making God a liar. Because most of that stuff never comes to pass. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. We must abide in Christ. We must live lives that are truly Spirit-filled. Not the crazy, charismatic, chaos spirit-filled that we've seen. We're talking about truly spirit-filled lives, sanctified lives, seeking after holiness, living a life that's pleasing unto God. That's the life that we need to live. We need to abide in Christ. Live in Him. Now, 
I find the next phrase very important. Uh, it says, We may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Let me say this clearly. The Christian has a great hope. We have the great hope of eternal life, right? The sinner has a reason to dread. They don't have the hope that we have. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. We only have a little time on this earth. Only just a little time. And when we die, we will face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. A very interesting phrase. What he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It would almost seem, if somebody wanted to twist Scripture a little bit, that we're talking about salvation by works, right? If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad, right? No, we need to put it into the context of all of Scripture. Because we in this church understand that our works are not good. Because I taught Romans 1 a long time ago. And it said... No one does good. There is none righteous. No, not one. That unless we understand that there is only one good. Christ said, Why do you call me good? There is only one good, and that is God. Was He saying that only God the Father is good? No. Because He's God too. He's God the Son. He's saying, Why are you calling me good? You're recognizing that, you recognize right that only God is good. And he was fixing to have a conversation about how this guy uh, thinks that he's good too. But there's only one good, and that's God. Therefore, the only way that we will ever have good within us and do good is in Christ, because He is good. He is our righteousness. But let's take a closer look at this in a few different accounts in Scripture. When we stand before God in judgment, when we stand before Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and what is going to happen in that moment. When the Son of Man comes in all His glory, Matthew 25, 31-46, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on, a, on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep and the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Talking about works, but what are those works done through? The fact that they are in Christ. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, it's clear. Christ will not change his mind about justice when he sits on that judgment seat. He's not going to suddenly decide, oh, never mind, everybody gets in. Like the universalist may say. Like the emergent may say. He's not going to do that. Let's go to another place in Scripture that describes the terrible fate due to the goats. Revelation 20, 11-15 Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if any ne anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is the fate of those who have not abided in Christ on earth. It's a truth. They will forever shrink in shame from Christ. But for those who abide in Christ... The news is much, much different. We will have confidence when we stand before Christ. Not in ourselves or our actions. We have the confidence of Christ in us. He has saved us and given us His righteousness. We will stand in judgment before Christ and get much better news. Revelation 20, 1 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. We must repent and trust in Christ. We must abide in Him. And when He returns with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, we will have confidence and forever be with Him, glorified. John then gives us a great statement to end our study in 1 John for this summer. And, and, and like I said, we will return next summer. But truly this verse could stand alone. I could have preached just this verse probably and give us such great help. We've been warned of false teachers, right? 
That's something that's been happening. That's happened in the study of First John. We uh, have seen the importance of trusting in the Holy Spirit to teach us all things in Scripture. We have seen the great terror in store for those in those not in Christ, and we have seen that we who are in Christ will have confidence at the judgment. And these are great things to learn. Now, John is going to leave us with a verse of application for our lives. And truly this verse should be a great help to us and this verse should be taken to heart by us. Verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. If you know that He is righteous. Therefore, to know that He is righteous, we must believe in the right Christ. God the Son, who never sinned. We cannot believe any of these false doctrines and theologies that tell us of a different Christ than that of Scripture. A God that, a Christ who is, was just a man until God put the Holy Spirit in Him. Or a Christ who is only a spirit and the body was just a, an illusion. All those things are the wrong Christ. He is God made flesh. He is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is all God, all man. And that is something that we must know as His people. There is no darkness in Him at all. So, the next part tells us more than one thing. The next part says, You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. The first thing that this phrase is to us is it is a litmus test for who we will listen to as a teacher. If a so-called preacher or teacher comes and tries to teach a Christ who is not righteous, who is not the righteous Christ that we know, maybe they humanize Christ, one that we are equal to, or one who broke the law for love, or one of these false Christs that we see all the time, if they try to come in and teach that Christ, guess what we do? We, oh brother, where art thou then? We bring a rail in, we put them on it, and we run them out on a rail. That's what we do to those teachers. They are wolves, and absolutely a wolf is not born of God because they would never teach a Christ who is not the righteous one. Secondly, this phrase is to help us to discern justification in our own lives. We've seen so many false teachers and even some we thought to be trustworthy fall into grievous sin. Churches, major churches, have fallen because of this. We've seen some of these people deconstruct and leave the faith, so to speak. We can be assured that these people are not born of God. Because those who are born of God do what? Practice righteousness. Thirdly, it is an admonishment to seek after holiness in our lives. The only way that we can do anything that is truly righteous is in Christ, period. Only in Him. And we follow His commands. Not anybody else's. Not a set of guidelines. Not a, you have to dress like this. 
You got to get them dress standards right, or you got to do this a certain way. You got to have church on this day instead of this day. These are legalistic rules that are not the commands of Christ. We follow what Christ has said. We follow His commands. We see the Holy Spirit at work in us to help us live a life born again in Christ. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to the Word of God where we see Christ's true commands. And fourth, it's an assure, it's, it's, it's an assurance to us that we're born again. We know that Christ is righteous. If we've been born again, then we are clothed in His righteousness. When we stand before Him, we will be judged righteous because He is ultimately righteous and has clothed us in His righteousness. We should be extremely thankful for the righteousness of Christ, that He has made us righteous and that we are born again in Him. In concluding this exposition of 1 John 1-2, through I want to leave it with something that is very important. It's a challenge. Everywhere we turn, false teaching and lies about God and our faith are clearly visible. Everywhere we turn. Some of the most prevalent voices in Christianity are false teachers. Some of the most famous dudes with the best-selling books are false teachers. My Facebook and Twitter feed is full of people preaching a different gospel whether it be people typing something up and or people sharing something that just does not line up with what God has said in His Word, that's all you get on social media. Because a different gospel, what we got to understand about a different gospel is a different gospel will never save us. I could yell, I could fuss and complain about it all day. And truly, I probably have done it all day a few days complaining about the false teaching and, and the lies being spread about our God but in this phase of my life in Christ I feel that there is an urgency to do something a little different yes we do call out false teachers you will hear false teachers called out in this pulpit we can do that all day till we are blue in the face but if that is all we do we are not making much of a difference because I can point you to false teachers and false teachings and tell you to turn away. But my voice needs to be telling you where to turn. What to know. How to avoid these things. Our voices truly on our side of it, on the biblical side, our voices should be louder about it. We should be saying the right things, not just calling out what is wrong. Matthew 28, 18-20. I hope you're all familiar with this because this is your marching orders. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We must unashamedly preach Christ. Not be shamed by it. We must be unashamed to preach the truth of Christ in all of our areas of life. We disciple. Pastor G is our discipleship pastor. So what does he do? He points us to the Word of God, teaches the Word of God to us, 
to help build us up, edify us, make us stronger in the Word of God. When I'm teaching you, it's that's a type of, 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 of discipleship. Your biblical readings daily in your prayer time, that's all discipleship. We baptize. We baptize. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that is what the believer is to do after salvation. We teach the Word, which tells us all that Christ has commanded us to do. And hear me clearly. Our voices should be louder in sharing the truth of the Gospel. What do I mean by that? The things you say in moments of confronting things should be peppered with the Gospel. Your social media It could be filled with the gospel if you if you so choose. Our voices should be louder in sharing the truth, and we should never fear to tell the truth of the word of God in love. The world needs to hear it. Will they block us? Will they unfollow us? Possibly, but you know what? Some of, some people may actually hear us, and their lives may be changed. Because guess what? Angry, ranting is not the power of God unto salvation. Um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So when we share the gospel, we give the opportunity for the power of God and the salvation to work in somebody's life. It is our commission to preach the gospel. So we need to be able to do that without hesitation, without worrying about who it's going to offend. Guess what? The gospel offends sometimes because it's not going to allow you to stay in the sinful state that you have been. Don't fear to share the truth of the gospel. Don't you be scared to do it because it is the power of God and salvation and you never know whose life could be touched by the power of God and salvation. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for You and Your Word and what it has done to change our hearts and lives and minds. God, we know that through this teaching You have shown us that we need to avoid the faults. We need to run towards the truth. We need to live lives where we see the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, leading us through the Word of God. And we need to live lives where we seek after holiness knowing that our only righteousness is in Christ, so we need to lean completely on Him and abide in Him. God, we thank You for that. God, right now we pray for those who don't have that. God, people who are waiting to hear the Gospel from us. God, in our lives. God, people around the world who may need somebody to just share the truth of the Gospel with them. God, we pray for them right now. That they would be cut to the heart. That they must repent and trust in Christ for their salvation. Sinner, Run to Christ. He is your only hope. Cling to Him for the salvation of your soul and then you will abide in Him for the rest of your life. We thank You, God, for Your salvation towards us sinners. In Christ's name, Amen.